Live. Live on. Live on set. Hello and welcome to another episode of Live on Set. Live on Set, the weekly pop culture podcast where I'm talking film, music, sports, television with my friends, family, and people I meet along the way. Following suit with episode 0 and episode 11, episode 27, today's episode, episode 27, is just me, just Austin. I shuffled up some guests, have the month of May and uh, a good amount of June already planned out, which is great. I'm looking forward to, to May and getting into the summer with Live On Set with season 2 here. But today, the topic following last week's episode with my good friend David, we talked movies. I'm going to continue that today. And similar with episode 0 and episode 11, those were kind of on the shorter side. Usually, if I have a guest, especially someone that I've known for a long time, those are kind of over an hour. But we'll really kind of see how today goes. I'm really excited about today's episode. It's something when I touched on with episode zero and a little bit of the episodes throughout season one and where we are currently with season two of Live On Set, my favorite thing to talk about is movies and really talk about film. And today, as I record this on Sunday, April 25th, today just so happens to fall with how the calendar works and how COVID kind of pushed things back. Today is my favorite day of the year. For some people, it's their birthday. For some people, it's a Super Bowl. For, for some people, it could be just like a, a family event that they look forward to every year, like an annual event, something like that. And I, what I'm saying is my favorite day is today because today's the Academy Awards. Today's episode, episode 27 of Live On Set, is really going to cover uh, some predictions for a good amount of the categories for tonight's Academy Awards. So when this comes out tomorrow on Monday, April 26th, the last Monday uh, of April, the last episode of April of Live On Set for Season 2. When this episode drops tomorrow morning, the Academy Awards will be over because obviously they'll be tonight, but also we'll we'll find out if I know what I'm talking about or, or if I don't, or if it's an off year, uh, which is honestly kind of how I'm feeling just because of not being able to see as many things as I did previously, but then also the fact that we're all kind of going through everything all at once and we're, we are still dealing with hopefully the tail end of this pandemic where uh, I really don't have the opportunity or the option really to go see movies and theaters or the live action animated shorts normally like I would do in years uh, in years past. But to talk about the Academy Awards, we'll talk about this year 2021's ballot breakdown. Like I said, some of those, uh, a good amount of, of those uh, categories. But then also for the main segment, earlier this week, Esquire.com ranked the previous 92 films that won Best Picture in preparation for the Academy Awards tonight, celebrating the 93, the 93rd Academy Awards, which will take place in 2021, but it will it will honor all of those films that were released in the year 2020. And we will see who will win Best Picture, all the other major categories. We'll get into uh, the Esquire.com list. We will talk about who will be the new winner uh, for Best Picture after last year's winner, Parasite which uh, we'll talk about that as well. Very excited to talk about that. But we're going to go ahead and get started. We're going to roll through it. Uh, when it comes to the Academy Awards, there's so much that I like about it, but we'll start simple and then we'll kind of go from there. So uh, the Academy Awards, also known uh, as the Oscars, they reward and provide recognition for the film industry, whether that is going to be the 
uh, artistic or technical merit that comes within films that are nominated for Academy Awards that year. Uh, the Academy Awards really kind of encapsulates that so well. And with this now being the second or third year without a host, it will be interesting to see, excuse me, it will be interesting to see uh, who has that, that monologue or, or that cold open. Will it be a tag team of what was previously Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph? Will it be someone with more of a stand-up and not an improv background? Or will it be like it was a couple of years ago when Bohemian Rhapsody was up for a lot of awards and Rami Malek won Best Actor uh, portraying Freddie Mercury? Queen opened the show with Adam Lambert and Roger Taylor and, and Brian May, and, and that was great. So, But we'll see what happens. So, so excited to get into this. But we talked about what the Oscars are for, the, for those who do not know, and we'll get into this year's, and we'll keep pushing forward. So we're going to roll that film reel. So let's do it. The 2021 Oscars is something, and I use this. I've, I have used this phrase a number of times on the podcast so far. It's one of my favorite things to say. I, I haven't used it in a while, so I'll definitely use it now. And I love the term. Luis, uh, my best friend who listens to the podcast, was my guest for season one, episode six. It's a phrase we like to say a lot, and that is something that has been quote, "It's never been done before." And and this Academy Awards, there's going to be a number of films that are nominated that are going to win hardware. And it's something that's never been done before in the sense of these movies that are nominated, for example, Mank, Netflix, David Fincher, um, Social Network, Seven, Gone Girl, Fight Club, I can go on and on. Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Panic Room, more and more and more. He's one of the best that's ever done it. Mank, his latest directorial uh, achievement was on Netflix as the most nominations with 10. If that wins any award tonight or any sort of like the main awards, what they will achieve is an Academy Award being won for something that was exclusively distributed via a streaming service, something that would not have been offered in theaters. So that is something that this year, um, that's going to happen for, for, for a lot of these awards. Um, and it's something that, as someone who grew up truly appreciating what that movie experience was like, like I've said in episodes past, going, to, going physically to a movie theater is my what I would what I would say is my mandatory escape from reality. I can completely disconnect from uh, what my life is like outside of the theater when I go in there and when those trailers start I'm locked in for however however long uh, that those trailers and that movie runs for, and then I go back to my life. And it's something that I really kind of fell in love with movies at a very young age and and that movie going experience. And we didn't really have that this year. I only saw, let's see here, I only saw two movies in a theater that would have been eligible for an Academy Award, and those were Tenant, which were nominated for, I believe, two Academy Awards, uh, production design, visual effects. Might be missing some others, but I think those are just the two there. And then On the Rocks with uh, Rashida Jones, the lovely Rashida Jones, big fan of hers. Uh, and Bill Murray and Sofia Coppola directed that, and she's been nominated for Academy Awards in the past as well. And uh, I saw that at the Enzian, which those who are listening from Orlando, I'm a big fan of the Enzian. When I talk about the list from Esquire.com, I will get into some of the movies that have won Best Picture that I did see at the Enzian. Uh, but congrats to the Enzian right now. They would have just, by the time this episode airs tomorrow, they would have just finished their biggest annual event in the Florida Film Festival. So much love to everyone over at the Enzian. 
people who really it's good to have people who uh, you can interact with that are as passionate and love film as much as uh, myself, but then also be able to hear the directors, the screenwriters, the actors, their inspiration behind the project and really see that at a small, more intimate environment than going to like the big theaters. And uh, I hope to be able to attend some of those screenings, really kind of like lecture series that they have next year in person, whereas this year they took the virtual route with some things, but they did have some in-person programming. But enough for the NZ, and I'll talk about that in the later half of the show for those movies that won Best Picture that I did see there. But let's get into this year's Oscars. Um, I want to start with, so I don't forget, the, the In Memoriam. And there are so many people friends, family of ours, friends and families of the, sh- of, of the show that I know have lost people, whether it be friends, family during this COVID pandemic time frame, uh, but then people who may he- hear this episode that have never heard anything else or people who really are just a fan of movies or anything of, of pop culture related that people we would have watched for a very long time had passed away during from last year's ceremony to, to, to tonight's ceremony. And it could be anything from sort of like icons like Kobe Bryant, who won an Academy Award. It could be people like Sean Connery, who you can argue the character of James Bond is one of the, if not the most iconic franchise role in the history of cinema. But then you also have people that we would have watched every day on television that had an inspiration, a a big inspiration on the people who will be nominated tonight. And I'm talking about Alex Trebek with Jeopardy. So I know my college roommates, I hope to get one of my college roommates on for the first time coming up here coming up here before the end of May. But those who are faithful listeners of the show, you know, my good friend, one of my best friends, Connor Brown, has been on three episodes so far. Going to have to start giving him uh, royalties at this point. But he and I and our roommates, we would watch Jeopardy every night. And then as I got older and graduated from college, I would continue to do the same. So Alex Trebek is deeply missed, and I know that uh, everyone from all over the world would watch him every night. But as we get into people, there is someone who is nominated tonight for an Academy Award for his uh, portrayal in uh, Mulraney's Black Bottom, and that is Chadwick Boseman. That is T'Challa. He is the face of the Black Panther franchise, and he passed away this year. And he is someone who was an absolute powerhouse on screen. I fully expect him to win tonight if he does win it'll be the third uh actor whether it being supporting or best actor there's three people that have won uh posthumously so peter finch for network in the 70s for those i'm sure have never forgotten the unforgettable performance of heath ledger uh in christopher nolan's the dark knight as the joker and then i fully expect to tonight i will be shocked i will be more shocked uh, when Olivia Coleman beat Glenn Close, who Glenn Close at the time was winning everything at the festivals and the and the Globes and the SAGs leading up to the Academy Awards that night. But Olivia Coleman won. But I did not expect something like that to happen tonight. If it were to happen, I think it would either go to Anthony Hopkins or Stephen Yoon for Minari. But I know that that category right now, all signs do point to Chadwick Boseman, who is sorely missed. But there are so many other people that have, have passed away, people that I'm forgetting, but I really kind of had those top four kind of in my mind. Um, I know when it comes to music as well, like Bill Weathers and um, Eddie Van Halen, but also when we when we talk about movies, what I love about the history of, of, of film and cinema, when they show that in memoriam segment, you're going to see people who 
you knew maybe people who were behind the scenes that were responsible for scores or cinematography or kind of just being a producer on films that have won so many awards over the years. And it's something that every year it's you forget how long a, a year really is. And I know that this year really kind of, it just feels like the year took a lot longer. And I know that when you say like, like don't blink because life moves so fast. But I can tell you right now that this year, when that In Memoriam segment during tonight's Academy Awards, you'll forget how many people actually passed away during the year. And that'll just make you remember the significance that they had on the film industry. And um, I'm looking forward to that to uh, pay homage, not just tonight, but for the remainder uh, of my life when it comes to the Academy Awards and when it comes to celebrating the achievements and recognizing those that um, were just such a big part of the film industry. So we touched on Tenet briefly. We talked about uh, Chadwick Boseman and his performance in uh, for Best Actor in Monrani's Black Bottom, which you can stream on Netflix. And talked about Mank earlier as well with David Fincher, the great David Fincher. But like I said earlier, this this is this ceremony is a lot of these winners. It's something that has never been done before. It could be people who will, will more than likely win tonight that have either not have been nominated for an Academy Award in the past, or they just haven't, it hadn't been their night yet, but it could be their night tonight. And I'm really excited. Um, I, like I said earlier, it's my favorite day of the year, but let's really kind of get into it. So obviously there, if you go online, and I always like to print off the Vanity Fair bracket because there's like bullet points and you can fill it in for years past that I've been in Oscar kind of pools and things like that. This year I'm not, but in years past, that was always the bracket for me, the ballot rather, that you could print off. It's always the most organized. It has all the things on one page. I am, for the first time, have notes written down because usually if, I, if I'm if i Zooming with someone and I record a podcast, I will talk, we'll, we'll catch up. More often than not, I haven't seen that person or that guest with the exception of, of, of a few people that have been on the show so far. I would not have seen that guest in person for a long time because of COVID, whether if they live here, they live in Ohio, they live in California. It, it's it's hard to see people right now, but thanks to Zoom and, and, and FaceTime, we can do that. I normally just talk it through with them or I write the episode in my head and I don't write anything down. So actually, I have with me right now the breakdown of the ballot, which we'll talk about that first. And like I said earlier, we'll get into that Esquire.com ranking 92 to 1 for all the films that are won Best Picture. So let's start with um, the acting roles. I know we talked touched on uh, Chadwick Boseman, so uh, we'll, we'll get to him in a minute. But with supporting, the good thing about this is I feel very strongly that the winner for Best Actress in a Supporting Role is going to be someone that has never won before. And that's always very special. I always say the same thing when we get into major season for, for the golf majors. I hope it's someone that's never won before. And I know that when it comes to the Globes with the Hollywood Foreign Press, more often than not, that will happen uh, for the movie roles, for the TV roles. There's been a trend, I think, in people that have won in the past. But as we get down to the Oscars, it's very special as someone in the audience for someone that appreciates this event so much and appreciates film so much. It's great to see someone win an Academy Award for the first time. Uh, some, uh, as of late, that I remember uh, speeches that were so good or, or so impactful. Matthew McConaughey, so that's going to be the teaser poster on Instagram this week for me when I tease this episode. 
uh, when he won Best Actor for Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, of course, Leo, who won for The Revenant. Personally, being biased as a big fan of Leo, I feel like he should have won for some films in the past, but he didn't. But then also the one that you just cannot forget, just really kind of iconic over the past decade. It's a movie that one best picture that I will touch on with the Esquire breakdown later in the show. And that was Lupita Nyong'o's uh, speech after she won Best Supporting uh, as Patsy in 12 Years a Slave. Just, just the iconic, beautiful blue dress and just how it stole the show. And it was without a doubt one of, if not the best acceptance speeches that night, and one of the best accept, ex, excuse me, and one of the best acceptance speeches uh, of my lifetime, I would say. So, but actress for a supporting role, I feel like Yu Jung Yoon for Minari. She will win. I have not seen Minari. I've heard a lot of people talking about it. She did win the SAG award. I feel like all signs do point towards her. I do know that. Uh, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Amanda Seyfried, Powerhouses, and then uh, Maria Bakal- uh, Bakalova with her role in, in Borat. I know a lot of people were happy to see her get nominated as well, but I do feel for this category, it's going to go Minari's way. When we get into supporting, this is without a doubt my favorite, favorite category of the night. Uh, it's something if you look back in years past there's so many iconic roles that that have been aligned to this category so and and i feel like with chadwick boseman with best actor when we talked about that i feel like i will be absolutely shocked of daniel kaluuya who i've talked about on this who i've talked about on the show a number of times daniel kaluuya and judas and the black messiah and his portrayal of fred hampton daniel kaluuya is an absolute powerhouse do not be surprised if he is the next James Bond. Do not be surprised if, if he becomes one of the, if not the best actor of this generation. Daniel Kaluuya is a powerhouse. I talked about it with my good friend Jason. I believe it was episode four, Christopher Nolan algorithm. We talked about Quentin Tarantino earlier in the show before we talked about Christopher Nolan films. And that main segment was about Tenet, which I talked about earlier on this show. Daniel Kaluuya is someone that I would feel like I hope that if Tarantino does one more, if not a number of more films, that he is the lead in something like that. Uh, audiences would have known him for his first big role in Get Out. He was in some other roles pro- prior to that. Uh, he had a role as Bing on Black Mirror, which is very popular. Uh, but he was also had a supporting role in Sicario, which is an excellent film. And since then, he's had an amazing supporting role in Widows. And he, the night after I watched... Judas and the Black Messiah, I watched Queen and Slim for the first time, and that movie is absolutely incredible, and that is a product of uh, Joni Turner-Smith, but also who we're talking about right now in Daniel Kaluuya. So I expect him to win. I'll be very excited. He has won the Globe, and uh, I I just feel like all signs do point to him, but that uh, category is stacked. His counterpart in the film, Lakeith Stanfield, he's also nominated for Judas and the Black Messiah. He is absolutely incredible. They, they were in Get Out Together, but Lakeith Stanfield has really been blowing up over the past couple of years and is so, so talented. If you haven't seen Sorry to Bother You, if you haven't seen Uncut Gems, he is fantastic, and he is fantastic in Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr., who we know is a talent, talented musician, he was Aaron Burr in Hamilton, but he is also in One Night in Miami where he portrays Sam Cooke. I have not seen this film. I know it's on Amazon, 
I have definitely been slacking compared to years past. Um, but I can tell you right now that Leslie Odom Jr. is here to stay, whether he will continue his success on stage or over this decade he breaks more into music or if he breaks more into the film industry, Leslie Odom is a triple threat. So I cannot wait to see what's uh, what the remainder of this decade holds in store for him. Uh, Paul Racy uh, for Sound of Metal. I have not seen that, but I will touch on Riz Ahmed when we get back up to Best Actor. But then also Sasha Baron Cohen, The Trial of Chicago 7. It's so interesting because he talked about this, uh, this role when he was doing press uh, for both Borat and this film, which were the two of the biggest films that came out this year. And Sasha Baron Cohen, who we know for Borat, he's been in a number of iconic comedies, either being the main person in, in Borat uh, or with Bruno or The Dictator or also kind of playing the supporting role uh, in Ricky Bobby, kind of for me growing up, one of those big comedy films for me growing up. But he is someone who can definitely do drama. He is someone who uh, had a great role in uh, Les Mis, the, the Tom Hopper Les Mis. Sasha Baron Cohen is absolutely fantastic. I'm very excited to see what he will be up to next, but he's great in this movie. And The Trial of the Chicago 7 has one of the, if not the best cast of the year. And I do expect uh, that film to win some awards tonight. I, Like I said, with Kaluuya being my choice for this category, I do not think Sasha Baron Cohen will win for this. But in the off chance that he does, well-deserved. Congratulations to you for everything that you will achieve in the future, Sasha. Let's talk about actress in a leading role. This one is, it's interesting. It's one of the ones that I would say has the chance to maybe go one of two ways, um, or rather maybe one of three ways. I mean, because there's so many people that are just either up and comers or they're established or they've won an Academy Award before, like two of these nominees so actress in a leading role i'll break it down real quick viola davis the talented lovely viola davis who won for fences she was also nominated for the help i thought that she was robbed for the help but she did not win for that but she won for fences her which was uh denzel washington his latest directorial uh achievement he also um they had played that role on stage together as well viola davis is amazing so she is nominated as Bex, the first nominee that I will discuss in regards to Best Actress in a Leading Role. She is also in Myrani's Black Bottom, uh, in addition to Chadwick Boseman, who we will talk about him as we've already touched on him earlier in the episode. Other nominees include Andre Day, The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for, uh, for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDermott, who has won two Academy Awards in the past for Fargo and Three Billboards, and then lastly, uh, Carrie Mulligan, who hosted the most recent episode of SNL. She is nominated for Promising Young Woman. She is fantastic. She is the lead uh, female role, uh, lead actress role in one of the best movies that I would I would say that I've ever seen, or at least one of the best movies that I've seen over the past decade, decade and a half, in Drive, her and Ryan Gosling. Uh, she is fantastic in that. She's also been in a number of other films that would include, uh, off the top of my head, She's been in Shame. She's been in Wall Street Never Sleeps. She's been in Inside Lulin Davis. She is fantastic. And after her performance in this movie, after her her performance on SNL, she could, she could do the comedy thing. I know that she is an amazing singer, and she has really been doing drama uh, films a majority of her career, but she can do it, and she's great in this movie. This is a tough one. This really is a tough one. Frances McDermott for Nomadland, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. 
this is kind of that first really sort of like real raw intense drama that Vanessa Kirby has been in. She's been in one of my favorite movies of the past decade in About Time. That About Time makes you laugh, makes you cry. It's a great movie. She's also done the the action uh, side of things in Mission Impossible, but then also in uh, Hobbs and Shaw, bringing bringing the Rock into it uh, because I mean obviously he's the greatest. But this is a this is a tough category. It's something that I would not be surprised if Viola Davis wins her second Academy Award tonight. I also wouldn't be surprised if Frances McDermott wins her third. But if someone were to creep in here, I do think it would be Carrie Mulligan winning for the first time. She's been nominated in the past. But Viola Davis is my choice tonight. Um, Frances McDermott for Nomadland, which I have not watched yet. It's on Hulu. I do intend to watch it today because I will tell you why in a couple of minutes. Um, but that is my choice, Viola Davis, for Best Actress in a Leading Role. Let's get into Best Actor. We did touch on this earlier with Chadwick Boseman, uh, but that category is also stacked as well. A couple of first-time nominees in Stephen Yoon for Minari and Riz Ahmed, the talented, talented Riz Ahmed. Riz Ahmed, for those who are fans of, of film and of television, we would have seen him in Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal. He was also in The Night Of on HBO, that miniseries, which was incredible, and that's if you hear Riz Ahmed talk about all that went into uh, the making of the night of how it was going to happen, it didn't happen, going to happen, it didn't happen, and then it finally happened, then the world finally got to see Riz Ahmed in a leading role. And that has led to, I feel very strongly led to the, this most recent success and bigger roles, whether it be uh, superhero or anti-hero based with uh, his role as the main one of the main villains in Venom, the Tom Hardy Venom, and that sequel's coming out. Uh, by the end of the year, but then also in a role like Sound of Metal, where he is the main guy. Sound of Metal, he loses his his hearing. He's a drummer in this band, Riz Ahmed. In real life, music is a big part of his life, but Riz Ahmed is fantastic in this film, and it makes me feel like if Chadwick Boseman was God, Chadwick Boseman was so good in Marines Black Bottom. So I feel like, like I said, that's going to be my choice. But Riz Ahmed, I don't want to say in an off year because he's so talented and it's just uh, an absolute honor of a lifetime to even be nominated. But Riz Ahmed, between now and the end of his career, it would not surprise me if he'll be on stage holding up a statue of his own. So Anthony Hopkins for The Father, he's been nominated for a number of Academy Awards, but he's also won, of course, for his portrayal as Hannibal Lecter in 1991's Best Picture winner, The Silence of the Lambs. So I will touch on that later when I break down the Esquire.com list. But then also Gary Oldman for Mank, David Fincher bringing him back into it. Gary Oldman won uh, for The Darkest Hour a couple of years ago, and he is amazing. He is someone who, if I would have to pick, I don't know, three, four, five people as the greatest actors or the people that I am just in awe of their performances since I've been alive for the roles that I've seen and the range that they have. I very much throw Gary Oldman into an arguably at the top of the list of Christian Bale, Leo. Um, Tom Hanks has done some drastic transformations, uh, but Gary Oldman, I mean, Denzel, Tom Hanks, the list goes on. So Gary Oldman is absolutely incredible. Those would have known him for his role as Commissioner Gordon in the Christopher Nolan Batman Trilogy, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, but then also he's all over the place. 
He's been in Leon the Professional. He's been in, obviously, Mank. He's been in The Fifth Element. He has been in some of Soderbergh's works. He is all over the place. He's great. And I would be shocked if if you saw a picture of him. If you didn't know the name, you would know the face. So congrats on another nomination for Gary Oldman. And then Stephen Yoon for Minari, who, uh, touching on Sorry to Bother You with Lakeith Stanfield, a previous nominee tonight that I did discuss. Uh, Stephen Yoon is also in bringing back in Daniel Kaluuya. The two of them are lined up with, I believe, Kiki Palmer in the next Jordan Peele film. So Stephen Yoon, the beginning. This is now just the beginning for you, and best of luck to you in the future. But if Chadwick Boseman does not win tonight, I believe it will go to either Anthony Hopkins or Stephen Yoon. So Anthony Hopkins for The Father or Stephen Yoon for Minari. Another great list of actors nominated for this category. But like I said earlier, all signs do point to Chadwick Boseman. Let's talk about director and picture. And then the other categories, I'll kind of go through a little bit of what I think is going to happen. But best director and best picture, I do believe, are going to go to the same movie, and that is Nomadland. That's where all the hype is. I will watch it today when I am done uh, recording and editing this podcast and getting episode 27 out to you all. But Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, who we will also see direct another Marvel installment for what is going to be this phase four in The Eternals, and that cast is incredible. But all signs point to her winning this award. She has won a majority of the awards, if not all of the main awards leading up to tonight. I do feel that she will be holding up that statue tonight. She'll be the first female to win Best Director since Hurt Locker upset uh, Catherine Bigelow, upset uh, Avatar for not only Best Director but Best Picture. And I will talk about Hurt Locker when I break down that Esquire.com list. But that category, uh, Lee Isaac Chung from Minari, Emerald Fennell uh, for Promising Young Woman, the great David Fincher for Mank, uh, Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round, which I have a tidbit about that in a second, and Chloe Zhao, who is my choice for Best Director for Nomad Land. I just said uh, Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round. For those, I'm not going to break down my algorithm for Best Picture. My best friends, my family have asked about it because I have, I have gone... Since 2010, I have not missed one, and I will never release my algorithm for what I put into it and what that nominee comes out as my choice. What I will say and I, what I will do for free is, for example, for Best Director, we have Thomas Benderberg for Another Round. Another Round is also nominated for Best International Feature, a.k.a. Best Foreign Film. That will win Best Foreign Film. If it doesn't happen then all credibility when it comes to at least the Oscars. If that's your way out and you think, I don't know what I'm talking about, then it is what it is. But any movie that you know that is nominated in another category that is not foreign-based, that is also nominated for Best Foreign Feature, that film has never lost. So that is why I'm saying that now. Uh, I've learned the hard way when I was younger, before I... Uh, maybe sort of realize that or old enough to realize that uh, maybe kind of how things do kind of play out. But my pick for international feature will be another round. And that is, I have not seen the film and it is solely based on the fact that the director of that film was nominated for best director.
Moving on to the number one award of the night, the last award that will be given out, and that is Best Picture. The nominees for Best Picture this year are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of Chicago 7. Of these nominees, I have seen two of the films as of now. I will watch uh, Nomadland, and hopefully, if I can fit it in before uh, Red Carpet and the show tonight, I will watch Sound of Metal. Uh, Sound of Metal you can see on Amazon, Nomadland on Hulu, and I will watch it. It's something that obviously... Uh, in a perfect world I would have seen in a theater, all of these, if not all of the nominees uh, tonight. But for this category, all signs do point to Nomadland. And there's a lot of hype on it. I'm excited to watch it. I decided to wait about a month to watch it because the hype was so real. I didn't want it to affect my my uh, experience watching it. It's already going to be a process having to watch it kind of on a TV and not, not on the big screen. But I am very excited to watch it. Frances McDermott, like I said earlier, is a powerhouse. She's the main character of that film. And you, you, you follow her on uh, her journey, and I'm excited to see uh, what, what's that about. And uh, I fully expect that film to win tonight. I do hear that, I, I, I do know that Mank is nominated for 10, 10 Academy Awards. I do not think it wins tonight. But if there was going to be someone that would kind of sneak up here and win Best Picture, I think it would be the trial of the Chicago 7. So if that does happen, congrats to Aaron Sorkin, the team over at Netflix, and that amazing cast. Aaron Sorkin has won an Academy Award for screenplay for The Social Network, which I've talked about on this podcast a number of times. Quentin Tarantino's favorite film of the 2010s. It's also one of my favorite films of all time. Has an amazing cast. Has one of my favorite musicians of all time. Justin Timberlake portrays Sean Parker and then just great performances all around, and Aaron Sorkin does cameo in that film. So, But no, all signs do point to Nomadland. I fully expect that to be the winner of Best Picture for the 93rd Academy Awards. That is the biggest award of the night, so you'll have to wait to the end to see it, but that is my prediction. So let's talk about some of the other categories, uh, one that I'm uh, excited to talk about, and we'll talk about uh, Best Animated, and that, without a doubt, it will be soul. It is something that I would put, would I put more money on Chadwick Boseman winning Best Actor? Yes. If that was not the case or there was another performance that was as strong or the other factors that contributed to that, then I would put all of my money for one category, every dime to my name, that soul wins tonight. And that movie is great. I watched it via Disney+, Plus, as did everyone else that I believe watched the film. I'm not sure if some theaters throughout the U.S. if they do show it. So if you were one of the lucky ones to see it on the big screen, um, congratulations. I wish I, w- I could have done that as well. But for Soul, best animated, without a doubt, uh, that will go to the team over at Pixar. Uh, Tina Fey, Jamie Foxx, Questlove, that movie was great. And what I love about Soul, I've talked about it uh, with people offset, but I uh, will say it for the record live on set that these Pixar movies growing up that were so important to my generation growing up and uh, when I was a kid, and I can tell you right now that Pixar knows exactly what they're doing. They hit the nostalgia button, but they also incorporate new stories that relate to everyday life, and that's what Soul was. It made you, it made you think a lot. It also made you realize kind of what's important uh, 
what how important an opportunity is, but then also uh, the way you carry yourself and the way you live your life uh, at the core, at the soul of you. Um, what person do you want to be? But more importantly, do you realize how precious life really is? And that is something that soul really encapsulates so well. And it is also something that um, is one of the best animated films that I've seen probably ever. And I've only seen it once. I That was my kind of feeling after it. it I don't know where I would rank it in regards to Pixar films because I love The Incredibles. Up is amazing. Ratatouille is amazing. Um, and obviously you can't forget the, the hits from the 90s with you know Lion King and uh, Toy Story. But... What I will say is Soul is great. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Um, I know that some other uh, nominees in that category are Onward, that had Chris Pratt and Tom Holland, who you would know uh, for the Chris Pratt fans. Obviously, he's this big star for Guardians and and the Jurassic World uh, new franchise, which the, that third installment will be coming out, uh, I believe, soon. But also, to me, he is Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec, or a.k.a. Burt Macklin, FBI. So uh, look out for Soul to Win tonight. Other nominees include Onward, Over the Moon, Shaun of the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, um, and uh, Wolf Walkers. So congrats to everyone, not just who I think will win tonight, but all the nominees as a whole. Um, but there's a lot of other categories that are fan favorites of myself. Cinematography is another one. Uh, cinematography is something I would say is honestly probably my favorite category and it wasn't growing up but it is now I talked about it with my friend Henry who was on episode 2 of Live On Set he also joined me for his second go around where we talked Ted Lasso as he is the hero we deserve and congrats to the team over at Apple TV with Ted Lasso coming back for season 2 July 23rd so uh, check that out but Cinematography, we have Judas and the Black Messiah, we have Mank, we have News of the World, we have Nomadland, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. This is a tough one. The The movies that I have seen out of those, I've seen two as of now. I will watch Nomad later, like I said earlier uh, on the show. I will watch that today. This is a tough one. I could see it going Mank. I could also see it going Nomadland. I, I will say that for the sake of picking, I will go with Mank. Uh, but if I'm wrong, I believe all signs point to Nomadland there. But that, that's how I feel. I am curious to see if there will be any performances tonight of the, the five songs that are nominated for original songs. So we have Hear My Voice from The Trial of the Chicago 7, Speak Now from One Night in Miami, um, Scene from The Life Ahead, Fight for You, Judas and the Black Messiah, and I can't pronounce this, but... Husavik, uh, or known as my hometown for Eurovision, uh, the story of the fire saga. So I'm going to go with Judas and the Black Messiah for Fight for You. I believe her was involved with that track. She is incredible. She is someone who I know this decade will be huge for her. And I also know that a lot of friends of mine, friends of the show, do love her music, as do I. But those are the ones I really want to talk about the most. Those are the uh, the big ones, and I'm excited for tonight, honestly, more than anybody, but congrats to all the winners, congrats to all the nominees, their friends, their family, the production crews that put these movies on, the screenplays, the scenes we see on screen, and I cannot wait for tonight, and I cannot wait for the movies that will come out this year to come back next year, 
for the 94th Academy Awards, where hopefully we have an audience in California, like years past, enjoying the show. So that does it for the 2021 Oscar ballot breakdown presented by Vanity Fair, which is, like I said earlier, the one that I printed out. Vanity Fair did not pay anything to me for talking about it, but I always print that one out, like I said earlier, because of the layout and how it looks. But what I will definitely say is I'm very excited for tonight, as I said a number of times, but I am also excited for the main segment to talk about the Esquire.com breakdown of the 92 films out of one best picture in preparation for tonight. Like I said earlier, I predict Nomadland to be number 93. So uh, we will see if I'm right or if I'm wrong. But let's talk about this list. This is something that was trending on Twitter. It was something that uh, really caught my eye. And over the past couple of days, I was read throughing it and or read through it, excuse me. And it's something that made me think about a lot. It also made me think about how I can consider myself um, this cinephile, how I love cinema, the history of cinema, what I would kind of consider the difference between what a movie is and what a film is, but then also really kind of encapsulating that whole movie-going experience. And of the 92 that are on this list, I've only seen about 40% of them. And I broke it down, highlighted what I saw, marked what I didn't, and we'll talk through it. So 92 is Samarin. That was from 1930-1931. slash Haven't seen it. Uh, and then I'll kind of hit the greatest hits all the way through. I'm not going to list all of them. But in between 92 and 80 of those, I have seen 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And those five listed on there were, and I'll go 89 uh, to, to uh, down to 84, skipping 86 because I haven't seen 86. So 89, The King's Speech, 2010. 2010, this, I did pick The King's Speech. That did start my streak. Uh, but 2010 was an amazing year for film. We had The Social Network. We had True Grit. We had The King's Speech. We had Toy Story 3. There was so much going on, and that was a fantastic film. Obviously, it won Best Picture. I would have wanted Social Network, but after kind of things that played out with some other awards, I was like, I can't go with this, but you know what? It is what it is. So King's Speech, Colin Firth, he won Best Actor. Jeffrey Rush was up for supporting uh, the lovely Helena uh, Bonham Carter. She was nominated as well. Guy Pierce also in the film. And then Tom Hopper, who I touched on earlier, who directed Les Mis, also directed uh, The King's Speech as well. So that's a great film. 88, Shakespeare in Love. That was an upset. I thought it was, I at the time, if I had a bracket, I mean, I was five. Um, but Shakespeare in Love did win. Saving Private Ryan won a lot of the other awards that year. But 1998... Shakespeare in Love won two Acting Academy Awards, uh, supporting for the lovely Judy Dench, the all-time Judy Dench, and then also Gwyneth Paltrow as the main lead for Best Actress. Uh, 87, Gone with the Wind. I am shocked it is not higher than this number. Uh, Gone with the Wind, 1939, same year that Mr. Smith Goes to Washington comes out, but then also one of the most iconic films of all time in The Wizard of Oz also came out as well. And the director of The Wizard of Oz also directed... Gone with the Wind. So that might be the best one-two punch ever in the history of cinema. Uh, 85, Braveheart, 1995. Kind of an upset from, from what I heard. I was two, so obviously I was losing my mind. 
but that was uh, listed as 85 and then 84, Crash. I thought Crash would have been a little bit higher uh, uh, on the list in regards to um, maybe being closer to like that 89 to 92 range. A lot of controversy when uh, Paul Haggis' Crash won. I know there was a lot of great acting performances in that film. Uh, specifically, uh, Matt Dillon, Don Cheadle was great as well. That has an, a, an amazing cast. But all signs that year did point to Brokeback Mountain for Ang Lee. Ang Lee did, I want to say revenge, but Ang Lee did win for Director for Life of Pi, and he is a very respected filmmaker when it comes uh, to the arts. But Paul Haggis and Crash won that year, and it was an upset. I remember Jack Nicholson coming on screen for the last of night, the last award of the night, and he said, and the Oscar goes to Crash, and people went nuts. So Crash uh, at 84, uh, and then going into the 70s, The Departed, 1978, or excuse me, uh, for 78, uh, The Departed from 2006. If you haven't seen The Departed, I don't know how you haven't. It was the first Academy Award that Scorsese won, long overdue, for all of the amazing films that he had been a part of, Mean Street, Taxi, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Casino, etc. So, uh, Aviator, Gangs in New York, etc. So, um, and then past 06 as well. But he did win for The Departed. I remember watching that. Uh, I remember it was also, I did not see it in theaters because uh, of how young I was, but I remember watching it for the first time uh, the weekend of the NFL draft, which is also this Thursday, so to tie that in. I remember that so clearly. And then going in and talking uh, to one of my teachers who was a big movie buff as well, Mr. Cerise. So if you're out there, hope all is well with you. I remember we talked about Scorsese at length the day after the Academy Awards. So moving on. 75, A Beautiful Mind. Russell Crowe, obviously, is, is, is one of the biggest. In 2000, Gladiator uh, won. And then 2001, uh, A Beautiful Mind. So that one-two punch right there, Russell Crowe. He was one of the, if not the biggest actor around at the time. So uh, continuously kind of killing it there. 73, Green Book. I saw that in theaters. It's something that I picked. It was an upset of the night. I feel strongly it did not win a lot of awards, but it is a good film. Uh, Mahershala Ali doing something that had only been done a couple of times, most notably before that with Tom Hanks winning Best Actor for Philadelphia in 93, and then winning Best Actor in 1994 for Forrest Gump, which I will touch on here later as we go along. But Mahershala Ali won back-to-back for... Uh, best Supporting. So he won for Green Book, and he also won for Moonlight, which we, because of that winning Best Picture, we will discuss later in the show as well. So moving on into uh, the last one for 70, which is Forrest Gump. I just touched on that. Forrest Gump, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, for the people that know me well, I have played ping pong in the past. I don't play anymore. But if you know the movie well, and you know that Forrest also plays ping pong as well, uh, you you understand why. But that movie covers so much of history. That movie really kind of brings everything into it. You see Forrest grow up as a kid into a teenager, into an adult, into a father. And that movie is absolutely incredible. The 1994 Robert Zemeckis classic Forrest Gump is a must-see if you haven't already. I honestly don't know how it's possible, but watch it. 69 American Beauty, 1999. Sam Mendes, Kevin Spacey, Annette Benning, uh, Peter Gallagher, uh, the list goes on and on. Mena Savari, it, it's, it's one of those movies 
that at the age that I watched it, I had I definitely said it was a movie that I had really not seen something like that before. But uh, the starting with that handheld camera, uh, it's it's a great way that that establishing shot bringing cinematography back into it. It's really just something that I just really hadn't really seen before. It was something that the movie was pretty deep. It was kind of out there. But then also uh, Kevin Spacey picking up the second of his two Academy Awards. He uh, won for supporting uh, in The Usable Suspects. So I won't spoil that one for you, but you'll kind of figure out who he is as the course of that movie goes on. And then also winning as Lester for Best Actor in American Beauty. So 1999, another good year for film. A lot of movies that were released that year, but Best Picture went to American Beauty. Great film. 66, this is the first movie on this list that not only had one uh, Best Picture, but it was the first uh, Best Picture winner that I saw at the Enzian with my good friend Joey Nelson, who was supposed to be a season one guest of Live On Set. I hope uh, he's one of my May guests. We have a great story about Kendrick Lamar, but he is someone who uh, is also very passionate about pop culture as well, and I saw that with him at the Enzian. It's a movie that I have not seen in a while. I kind of, I kind of, uh, I picked it. I didn't want to pick it because of how much I loved Boyhood, but uh, Birdman did win that night, and an amazing cast: Michael Keaton, Zach Galifianakis, Emma Stone, Edward Norton. The list goes on and on. That movie is fantastic. Amy Ryan as well, for those Office fans who are listening. But no, that that's 66 on the list. I thought it'd be a little bit higher, but it's not. Same with Forrest Gump, but moving on. 60, Gandhi, Ben Kingsley, Richard Attenborough, Martin Sheen. Uh, that movie's great. Seen it a couple of times. Long movie. Be the change you want to see in the world. That's all I'm going to say about that. 58, Argo, Ben Affleck. I, another situation with Birdman where I wanted Boyhood to win, but I didn't pick it. Same situation happened that year with Argo. I wanted Zero Dark Thirty to win. Catherine Bigelow's follow-up to Hurt Locker, which we'll talk about here shortly. But uh, that movie's great. Ben Affleck, uh, Alan Arkin, um, kind of people who, uh, Scoot McNary, he's kind of blown up a little bit since that movie as well. But then you also bring in people uh, like Tate Donovan, and the list goes on and on, John Goodman. So... Great, uh, great movie. 57, I'll stop here for a second with Terms of Endearment, 1983. Uh, Shirley MacLaine won Best Actress. Jack Nicholson won Supporting. That was the second Academy Award that Jack Nicholson had won at that time. The first being Best Actor for the 1975 Best Picture winner, One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. That is something that we'll talk about here shortly as well. But Terms of Endearment is one of those movies that is... I can't think of a movie on this list up until this point, with the exception of maybe Forrest Gump, that really kind of encapsulates um, the ups and downs of family, the ups and downs of life, how precious life is, um, how fortunate uh, myself and I know other people that kind of exist on this earth about the the close relationship you would have uh, like with your mother but then also uh, kind of going through the motions of life, being a kid, growing up, falling in love, and, and really kind of being a kid all over again. And that's a movie that I would really try to figure out because of how good of a cast it was. Shirley MacLaine, Jeff Daniels, Jack Nicholson, Deborah Winger, 
like that and then the kids in that movie are great as well that that's a hard movie to kind of recast now i don't know what i would do there that's an, an it's, it's a movie that although it is completely different than uh reservoir dogs is another movie that if i had to recast a movie with people who were not in the original it's not easy but that movie is is not not easy to watch it is one of those movies that i described earlier as uh some movies make you some movies make you laugh some movies make you cry that's one of those movies so terms of endearment 1983 that's 57 on esquire's list of uh, the top 92 moving on 52 platoon oliver stone oliver stone is not only a madman but he's also a genius so the 80s for uh, Oliver Stone uh, were, were good to him. He won Best Picture for Platoon in 1986. He also wrote the screenplay for Scarface, which came out in 1983. That movie is bonkers. Uh, but then also, as you, as you keep moving on, uh, 1989, uh, Born on the Fourth of July, and then he continued that trend of just making really kind of polarizing films and I touched on that last week with my friend David on the show. So what I mean by that is uh, Natural Brawn Killers, Nixon, JFK, uh, Wall Street also in the 80s. Michael Douglas won for that as well. Um, Oliver Stone has really made those films that really kind of stand on its own. They're in a league of their own. If you ever have seen an Oliver Stone movie, they're intense. So, And he has continued... Um, war films and political or biopic films uh, for the remainder of his career, bringing into uh, Alexander, Snowden, and then some, some, some thriller movies like Savages, all, all good films. So, and then he's also dabbled in, in sports as well with Any Given Sunday. That movie, although the editing drives me nuts, that movie's insane. So, 52, Platoon, 1986. And then skipping down, I didn't see anything that had been in the top 40. I won't, uh, I guess, I have those hot takes, those opinions. It makes you, makes you look good, makes you look bad. The one in that list of from 51 down to 40 that I had not seen is Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, 1959, one of those first movies that you would consider an epic. Um, Charlton Heston, 1959. That movie has been remade since I've been alive. I haven't seen it because I didn't see the original. But that's one of the movies so far that I am the least proud of of not seeing it. But I can tell you right now, it's one of those uh, event epic films that has continued to stand the test of time. Bringing in here number 39, one of my favorites on this list, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. The third installment in the uh, Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson franchise. That movie... I believe was up for 13 at 111. It was the film that was nominated at the time for the most Academy Awards. Um, but I can tell you right now that that movie is one of the favorites that I've ever seen in my entire life. I remember seeing it to this day. Had a flag football game. We lost because my team wasn't good. But after that, I went to uh, the movies with my dad. My dad had not seen the first or the second, had no clue what was going on. Aside from seeing a movie for the first time in a sold-out theater like that, um, I was locked into the movie, but then also my dad asked me, who's this, what's this guy do, what's his deal? That did not ruin it for me as I, at the time, saw one of the, if not the most favorite films that I, I have ever seen. 
So Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, 39. If I made this list, because I'll talk about how I maybe my top 10 would have would have planned out, uh, that would be significantly higher than 39 on this list. But then again, this is Esquire and their opinion. 34, Annie Hall, uh, Woody Allen, Diane Keaton, 1977. That was uh, a classic film back then. I have seen the film before. Only saw it once um, is what it is. All right, 32, Rain Man, 1988, Tom Cruise. Uh, post Top Gun, post Risky Business, he was in the process of becoming the biggest movie star in the world. Uh, and the 80s were very good to him as uh, that sort of trend of being the biggest movie star on the world, you can argue, is still in existence to this day. So Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman won in 1988. I believe Barry Levinson directed the film. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, Tom Cruise, that movie is great. Um, 30, Rocky, Sylvester Stallone, 1976. Um, that, is a, that is a movie that obviously has had a, a, a number of sequels, but it also has uh, one of the best uh, sport films of all time and the only sport film to win uh, an award of this caliber was 1976's Rocky. Uh, 28, Titanic. I talked about it last week with my friend David on the show. Uh, when I asked him the question, if you could go back in time and see a movie for the first time in a theater, what would you choose? He chose Titanic. I completely understand why. I have seen Titanic, uh, but I have not seen it in a theater. But with Titanic being for, for a little more than a decade, the highest grossing film of all time, uh, before that with Inflation, Gone with the Wind, and then they kind of went back and forth for a little bit, I would say between now and I guess the end of my life, if there's an opportunity for me to see Titanic in a theater, I will do it solely to say that I did it. Uh, 26, On the Waterfront. This is a classic. Marlon Brando. He did win Best Actor for this role. Could have been a contender. He could have been something. And he was that. That movie is incredible. Uh, I saw it in college for uh, one of my uh, film courses that I took. Uh, and to this day, 26, I feel like it's a little high for that. It should be lower. Uh, on that list, maybe close to somewhere in, in the top 15 to 20. Uh, keep going forward. 25, Spotlight. I remember seeing that. That was a great movie. Did not win a lot of awards that year. Um, but I do know in regards to the acting categories, uh, they were nominated, the, the, that, that main cast, the, those two or three guys, Mark Ruffalo, who I felt like was robbed for supporting. He did not win that year. Mark Rylance won for Bridge of Spies. And the, all the hype that year was going into it was Sylvester Stallone for winning for Creed, which didn't happen. So Mark Rylance won for his portrayal in Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies. But Spotlight had Rachel McAdams, Michael Keaton, Leif Schreiber, had uh, John Slattery, um, had Mark Ruffalo, as I previously said, had Brian Darcy James. That cast was loaded. And that was um, a good movie. I would have that, honestly, no disrespect to Spotlight, that would be somewhere between like the 60 to 70 range for me, but I know that it was more recent, and the people who were kind of compiling this list, they that might have been more fresh in their mind than some of the other movies that I feel like were overpassed, that were clearly um, classics. Uh, 22, Midnight Cowboy, a lot of controversy with that film. John Voight, Dustin Hoffman, 1969, that movie was the first movie that would have been described as rated x that would have won the academy award for best picture that year 1969 another movie 
that did well was uh, True Grit, which John Wayne won his one and only Oscar for that movie. I've seen Midnight Cowboy a couple of times. Not a movie with a lot of high rewatchability, but John Voight trying to figure out his life as a young guy doing what it takes to survive. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, going forward here, 1918, 17, 16, all back-to-back-to-back-to-back movies that I had seen. Amadeus, I watched that in school growing up. Uh, F. Murray Abraham won uh, portraying Salieri, but then also uh, Tom Hulse in that movie as well. Solid movie, uh, Mozart. It's pretty crazy. Uh, 18, Shape of Water, another movie that won Best Picture that I saw at the Enzian. This movie was incredible. Uh, Guillermo del Toro directed it. And then you have uh, Richard Jenkins, you have Sally Hawkins, you have Michael Shannon, Octavia Spencer, the list goes on and on. That movie is great. Uh, Gladiator 17, I touched on this earlier when I talked about A Beautiful, uh, Beautiful Mind. Uh, Gladiator Ridley Scott did not win Best Director for this film. I believe the winner that year for 2000 was Steven Soderbergh for Traffic. That movie is also insane. Uh, but Gladiator tells the story of Maximus. Russell, uh, Russell Crowe's uh, portrayal of him, incredible. That uh, movie there, the first time that we saw, uh, one of the first times rather, that we would have seen Joaquin Phoenix. He is the villain in that movie. And that was someone who really kind of a post gladiator just went on a hot streak with signs and then uh walked the line with his great portrayal oscar nominated portrayal of johnny cash uh moving forward here 16 no country for old men the cohen brothers javier bardem won best supporting for his role um in that film roger deakins was a cinematographer that movie is so beautifully shot uh other cast members in that movie included are Josh Brolin, Woody Harrelson, and Academy Award winner Tommy Lee Jones. So that movie's great. Check it out. Not so much of a slow burn. It gets very intense very quickly, but the movie is so beautifully shot. And the Coen brothers, obviously, um, other movies that stand out that would have been nominated in the past, uh, Inside Leland Davis, Fargo, True Grit. Um, there's They know what they're doing. <laughs> so there's no, no way of denying that. So... 14 and 13, 14, 12 Years a Slave, I touched on earlier when I talked uh, about Lupita winning. Other That that cast is absolutely insane. Uh, Brad Pitt, Benedict Cumberbatch, Lupita, Michael Fassbender, Paul Dano is insane in that movie. You also have uh, SNL alum Taron Killam. Uh, that, that movie is absolutely stacked there. So I believe it is... That was the first time that Steve McQueen was nominated for an Academy Award. And Brad Pitt, I believe, won an Academy Award. He was included with the group that won Best Picture because he was heavily involved with the production, although his role in the movie is small. And you cannot forget the powerhouse of Chiwetel Ejiofor, who was the main character in 12 Years a Slave with his portrayal of Solomon Northup. So that movie is incredible. 13, Schindler's List, Steven Spielberg did not take a dime uh, home on that one. He also directed Jurassic Park in the same year. One of those crazy, just kind of like one-two punches that historically, because it's a blockbuster and a passion project, I don't know. It's probably the only one-two punch of the year that would have been nominated for hardware on both ends uh, where bringing back into it Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz that only Stevens has only been able to replicate that, and he did so with 
that that one-two punch that year of 93 of Schindler's List and Jurassic Park. But Schindler's List, uh, Ray Fiennes, Ben Kingsley, and Liam Neeson, just that is a, a movie that I would recommend if you're a fan of film, fan of Steven Spielberg as well, watch it. Not to say that you watched it, but to realize the significance of the story that's being told, what was going on behind it, and how that movie brought to life something that really depicted one of, if not the worst time that ever existed in our world with the Holocaust. So uh, that was 13 on their list. 14 was 12 Years a Slave. But moving on to uh, the last part of the list here before I talk about and kind of give my opinions there. But 12, 11, 10, I've seen all these three. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, 1975. We talked about that with Nicholson. That was the first time he won an Academy Award. He'd been nominated for some other roles in uh, the the early part of the 70s. And then also 1974 was Chinatown. So at, at that time, Jack Nicholson was not only the rising star, but one of the, the biggest, if not the biggest actor around. And he continued that into the 80s with The Shining, Terms of Endearment, and, and going forward. 11, Silence of the Lambs, 1991, Anthony Hopkins. You also have Judy, uh, Jodie Foster. They both won Academy Awards for their portrayal in that film, Hannibal Lecter and uh, Clarice Starling. And then number 10, uh, Catherine Bigelow, uh, her film, The Hurt Locker, which upset Avatar that year. Avatar, that movie that totally flipped the movie-going experience upside down. If you're talking about creating a world, something that had never been done before, creating this entirely new, really kind of something that had never been seen before on the screen that way, James Cameron achieved that with Avatar. Almost said Aquaman there for the for the uh, Entourage fans out there, but he achieved that with Avatar. And I know myself, good friends of the podcast, but also most importantly, the people who have been waiting going on over a decade now for the next installment of Avatar, those, not film, films, will hopefully come and we get at least more than one of them between now and the end of this decade. So looking forward to that. James Cameron kind of file him under the same category as Oliver Stone. Extremely successful. Their films stand the test of time, but they're insane. Uh, going forward, number eight, uh, Casablanca cannot believe it's that high that I would assume would have been top five confirmed but Casablanca is a classic Ingrid Bergman Humphrey Bogart so many iconic quotes round up the usual suspects here's looking at you kid that is a classic and it's also absolutely insane that Humphrey Bogart did not win for that but he ended up winning for the African Queen in the early 50s before he passed away. So that movie is iconic. I could do a whole episode about Casablanca. I know my cousin Ryan, who has been on the show talking about Star Wars, him and his brother Brendan have also been on the show one-on-ones before, but then we also had the season one finale, uh, NBA Christmas Draft, and he loves that film. That's one of his favorite, if not his favorite film of all time. Moving forward, six and uh, five and six. Six is The Godfather, five is The Godfather Part Two. Um, Francis Ford Coppola, 1972 for The Godfather, Al Pacino, Marlon Brando, Diane Keaton, Khan, Sterling Hayden, the list goes on and on. Uh, Robert Duvall. That movie, I will get to it in a second. I don't want to spoil anything right now. That is one of the, if not the greatest film of all time. 
And that is something that I know the production going into it from what I've read as a fan of, of the arts was a nightmare, but he finally got it done. He made the film he wanted to do. He stuck to his guns. And it then in turn resulted in one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time. Followed up by that for number five on this list and literally a follow-up to the film I just talked about, Godfather Part Two. You incorporate there a different side of Michael Corleone. You really kind of experience there the power and how he would wield it compared to his father, Marlon Brando, who won Best Actor in 72 for that. It's a shame, but I also know that Marlon Brando in the first one was had a stronger presence, a stronger role compared to Al Pacino's, although you, you do feel that Michael is at the center of it all when he comes back from the war with Kay, uh, and they end up starting their life together, and then that life uh, carries into The Godfather Part Two. So that movie, longer than the original, it's always that long-standing debate, is this the only movie that's ever existed that the sequel is as good, if not better, than the original? I think that argument will continue. But what I will definitely say is, although The Godfather Part Two is longer than the first one, that is a movie that if it's on either of those, I watch it. It's something that my dad would say the same thing. He's been on the show as well. But it's something that sort of franchised there. And I know there is a third one, Godfather Part Three, that came out in 1990 um, that was nominated for a majority of awards as well. But those two movies right there were the two biggest movies of the 70s. It was something that when you look back on just like iconic movies from that time, you had Godfather Part Two, you had Godfather, you had Jaws, you had the first Star Wars A New Hope. There was so much that was going on there, Close Encounters, and then like deep cuts that um, all that were popular just compared to people not going by the masses to go see them. And what I mean by that is one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which I've touched on a couple of times so far on today's episode, but then also Chinatown. So those films right there, the 70s was great for film and those movies are still heavily uh, discussed today. Moving forward, number two and number one. Number two is Parasite. Parasite won last year. I touched on it earlier. This is a movie I did see at the Enzian. It is the third movie that has one best picture that I have seen at the Enzian. But Parasite is a movie that I honestly, because it's so fresh in my mind, if I waited till the year 2030 and I redid this list, or, or when I find out who wins the 100th best picture, so in the late 2020s, uh, 28. Uh, what I will definitely say is I'll probably make a list of my own at that time. By then, I'll make sure that I've seen all of the Academy Awards, all of the films that have won the Academy Award for Best Picture I would have seen at that time. But Parasite, I have never seen a movie, and I will still say this for the rest of my life, I have never seen a movie that has incorporated so many genres into one, release it as a final product, and me be so locked into that and then movie not being in English. I joke about it how the, the movie is in Korean, how I was so locked into the movie that I felt like I was fluent in Korean, but for some reason, by the time I got to my car, I only could understand and communicate in English. That movie is absolutely incredible. I only recognized one of the actors in it because I had seen another uh, film of uh, uh, Boon Jong-ho's before, but I can tell you right now, that movie, if you haven't seen it, 
It is one of the best movies that I've seen in my entire life. It follows a family, kind of like a, a their ambition and their rise from trying to go from rags to riches. It incorporates manipulation. It incorporates society and class. But it also throws into it drama, thriller, and comedy. And I've never seen the movie incorporate genres like that into one, release it as a final product, and it being as good as Parasite. And that movie is, is, is extremely deserving of the place that it has. But then also, it, it would not surprise me if it stays in the top five all time in regards to, or rather top ten, all time and movies that have won Best Picture when they do these rankings, as I'm sure they will continue to do going forward. But the number one is Moonlight. Moonlight is what Esquire.com chose. And it's something that there's this quote in the trailer that I've never forgotten. It's, it's, it's a movie that I picked it to win Best Picture, although there was controversy with that where Warren Beatty came out and said the wrong movie because the, the envelope said La La Land. So the whole La La Land class went up there. Uh, Damien Chazelle, the producers, Gosling, Emma Stone, etc., and then they came out and they said, there's a mistake, this is wrong. And the producer flipped it around and said, Moonlight, you won Best Picture. So Barry Jenkins, the team at A24, they won Best Picture in 2016. And the movie is amazing. The movie follows uh, this, this young man who is, trying, who is struggling with, as he grows older, family, but also identity, sexuality, and experiencing the everyday struggles of like childhood, adolescence, and, and, and what it takes to, to be an adult in adulthood. It's something that I remember watching it the week after the Academy Awards. I did pick it to win, um, but what I will definitely say is it's a movie I've only seen once. It's a very powerful film, uh, but Mahershala Ali says this line in the film when he's talking to the younger uh, version of the main character, and it's something that I'm sure that there have been other Lines like it's similar in the past. Mahershala Ali plays Juan in the movie. He won Best Supporting for his role as portrayal of Juan in Moonlight. And he just says this line. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you're going to be. And you cannot let anybody make that decision for you. And that is what it's all about. That line is in the trailer. It stands out in the film. I know the significance of a trailer and what it is and, and, and the, the artistic but also the business side of what a trailer is and how it's released out to get people to go see movies. But there are few movies that have hard-hitting lines that are so impactful. And that is just one of the many. It's, it's the line that I chose to talk about when I wanted to touch on Moonlight before I get into how maybe I would rank things or how I would do things. That's what it's all about right there. As someone who is in his mid to late 20s now, and I look back on the life that I've lived, but then also I look forward to the future, that line that Mahershala says as Juan in that movie is more relevant now as it's ever been. And that's something that you can continue to live your life by, live your life by for the remainder of your life or for your entire life. And that is something that when he is talking to Little in that movie and he's talking about it at that time, Little is a young age, is at a young age in the movie. But as you follow him and his kind of life throughout the film, what he deals with 
uh, with his home, who's portrayed by Naomi Harris, who was nominated for an Academy Award, and she's amazing. And then Mahershala Ali and his relationship with him, and then the people that he interacted with in like a teenage high school setting, and then reconnecting with them uh, as, as he grows older and what his life ends up turning into be. And, and, and that movie is very powerful. It's something that if I were to kind of look back and rearrange this list, I don't think it would ever, as time goes on, drop out of the top 15 to 20. For me, I wouldn't put it as one. Um, I would say it is in the top three or top five of the past 15 uh, to 20 years, probably. Uh, but it's not my number one. And there were a number, what, what I'll touch on first, and then I'll get into what I, I would feel like my top five would be. And this really might make me look bad compared to, because I did say early on, I'd only seen 40%. And, and I wasn't going to go through and read through all of them. There are 92 movies that are on this list that I've just never seen before that I know a lot about that I've never seen. And I just felt like I don't need to see it because I know all about it. But that doesn't really uh, kind of make it or give it justice, I guess. So some of the honorable mentions that are on this list of movies that I have not seen that won the Academy Award for Best Picture are as follows. Lawrence of Arabia, 1962, David Lean, uh, Peter O'Toole, just iconic event film. It's on the long side, but it is what it is. Uh, My Fair Lady, 1964. I know some people with my family listening to this are not going to be happy about that. I've also not seen The Sound of Music, which if my fair lady didn't make them upset, that sure as hell will. Uh, I've seen about, I've seen more than half of West, West Side Story, more than half of Unforgiven, and a majority of The Sting. So those were kind of close for me not to kind of include to get the 40% number higher. But when it comes to, to movies, I, I tell nothing but the truth. So I wasn't going to try to pump up the numbers there. But those are really kind of the big ones that really stand out. There, there are some movies that are on the long side, so I just didn't really sit through them all. So like Dances with Wolves and The Deer Hunter, and that's honestly the reason for Lawrence of Arabia. But at, at some point, I'm going to have to watch those movies. But those are the big ones there. So I'll, I'll go with Lawrence of Arabia, My Fair Lady, Sound of Music, and... Yeah, I'll just go with those. I mean, West Side Story is pretty long too, but I mean, it is what it is. I know that Steven Spielberg is going to, uh, he is rebooting that. That is going to come out here, and I believe that Rita Marina will will reprise her role. There'll be new a new cast in there, and we'll give a new, uh, a reimagining of, of the Sharks and the Jets. So we'll see how that goes. Let's talk like top five or, or top ten of the movies that I did see in regards to what I would, I would decide as my favorite uh, movies that have won Best Picture, and for various reasons. I know I, I broke down a number of them and, and talked about them as I went through. Some I just kind of like glossed over. Some I talked about uh, pretty pretty in depth. So let's start with 10, and then I'll, I'll, and then I'll keep moving forward here. And obviously there's going to be 27, literally, of, of, the, of the names that I'm not going to say because they're just not my, in my top 10. But what I will say for number 10 is... I'm going to go Gone with the Wind for 10. It could be controversial. It's one of the biggest movies of all time. It's something that I remember watching it for the first time. I loved it. But it's a long story. And it's something that um, if I were to do this list a couple of years down the line, it might change. But Gone with the Wind for me is 10. Number 9, I know we just talked about it. I'm going to go Moonlight. 
Moonlight for me, like I said, I that line stands the test of time for me. I know that when they redo like the the top 100 movie quotes of all time, I'm sure that will be on there. I don't know how high it would be, but that movie is at nine, so that's high on my list. Number eight, I'm going to go On the Waterfront. On the Waterfront, Marlon Brando, 1954. He was the new up-and-coming guy. He had just come off a streetcar named Desire. He carried that success on through uh, the remaining of the 50s, 60s, and then had success for the remainder of his career, especially with The Godfather and kind of moving forward there. He was someone who every actor wanted to be him. He was the number one guy. I'm sure the, 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 the craze for him would have been similar to how actors would have felt about Pacino and Dustin Hoffman. But then also with Brando, his uh, performance really, um, he was involved with, with Superman. He was just the be-all, end-all. And then also his performance in Apocalypse Now and how he would view film roles and what was important he that was the, the beginning for him and so he is someone who will go down as one of the greatest actors of all time and that's why i picked that because that's how i felt about him that's why he's nine on um or excuse me that, that's why he's next on on my list uh moving forward what i will definitely say is this is when it kind of gets a little tough for me it's hard to choose something that has already won what would be the quote-unquote the best award of the night but then also you kind of just have to make a list and kind of keep moving forward. So what I'll say for the next one is is I'm going to go with a movie that I already talked about earlier, obviously, because I've talked about all of these so far. But a movie I kind of went more in depth with, and that is for number seven, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks, like I said earlier, coming off back-to-back uh, -back best Oscars or with Forrest Gump went, went back-to-back. So 1993, Philadelphia, he won Best Actor, and then he won it again uh, with Forrest Gump. That movie, for me, the history, the role, uh, some relatability, but then also being able to, to follow him all the way through that war, life, love, family. There's a lot that's going on there. Throw ping pong on top. Some of my friends will be like, how is it not number one? It's seven for me. It's a movie that I've seen, I would say, somewhere between 10 and 15 times in my life. I haven't watched it in a while, start to finish. Maybe sometime this year I'll, I'll put it on. It's something that's on TV all the time, but for me, Forrest Gump, number seven. Moving on, another movie that I touched on earlier, Lord of the Rings Return of the King is number six for me. I know my, my cousin Brendan, a good friend of the show, he's been on it a couple of times. This is... what. 100% be number one for him. That movie was so big for, for us, anyone that our age. During that time, Harry Potter was still, was still going on. Pirates of the Caribbean was getting up and running. But Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, that movie, that last hour and a half to two hours in regards to what we have seen on film, something that big of a magnitude, bringing the end to a story that literally saved that world, that two hours of film, the last two hours of that movie, with no disrespect to the first hour and change, that is my favorite two hours of film nonstop from beginning to end. So much happens. You follow Frodo and Sam on that journey. There's so many other factors that are going on. What Peter Jackson and that team did 
is one of the best things that I've ever seen on film. That's why it's at six. Five for me, The Departed, kind of in similar fashion to what I just said about the last two hours. The last 25 minutes of The Departed is so beyond bonkers, it's not even funny. Great cast, obviously. Leo, Martin Sheen, Alec Baldwin, Mark Wahlberg, Jack Nicholson, Matt Damon, Anthony Anderson, James Badge Dale, that uh, Vera Farmiga, that movie is absolutely insane. And Leo is not a cop. So that's all I'm going to say about that. He's not a cop. So that movie is absolutely amazing. I watch it, I would say at least once a year. Came out in 2006. Was not a movie that I saw in theaters. Martin finally got his, his Oscar. Uh, Scorsese finally got his Oscar with The Departed. And that movie, at least among people my age, is celebrated as one of like the favorite movies of our youth. And that movie will continue to stand uh, the test of time, for sure. Uh, number four for me was Parasite. We talked about that, how Esquire had it as number two out of the 92 that they ranked. Parasite, for me, like I said, I've never seen a movie that's encapsulated three genres into one so flawlessly. It's a movie that I went and I watched Snowpiercer after it was after it was over. I know that Boon Jong Ho has other movies that are uh, available on streaming services to watch, but Parasite for me, you can argue, it's a cinematic achievement of that caliber. You can argue has never been done up to that point, and it may never be done again. And the fact that it was not an English film, and for the people, oh, subtitles, I got to read the whole time. If you lock in and you see it, you won't even feel like you're reading. And I know I made that joke earlier about I was so locked in, I thought I was fluent in Korean for the two and a half hours I was in there. And when I got out to my car, for some reason, I didn't understand Korean anymore. Uh, you'll feel the same thing if you lock in and, and, and you and you see Parasite. So if you haven't already, that's, that's, that is the must-see of any movie that I have said so far, Parasite. Number three, Casablanca. There's no going wrong here. It's a movie that I've talked about, I touched on earlier in the episode. One of the most iconic movies of all time. One of some of the most iconic movie lines of all time. You have romance, you have espionage. It's one of the all-time uh, dramas. You really kind of see how things go down in Morocco and how Humphrey Bogart really kind of has his hand on the pulse of everything that's going on. And he is always in control and what he says goes. And I really want to say for Casablanca, I don't think we've ever seen anyone so cool than Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. That's what I'll say for that. And I feel like that that is, is definitely something that would be uh, supported. Uh, number two and one, it's Godfather Part 2 and Godfather. For two, I put Godfather Part 2. For one, I put The Godfather. The Corleone family, the good, the bad, the ugly that comes with it. So many iconic scenes, lines that have happened in that really sort of franchise. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. Leave the gun, take the cannoli, the list goes on and on. Michael Corleone and Godfather Part Two can go from like father to gangster to politician to just utter rage. And there's so much history in that. And we see a young De Niro as as young Vito Corleone. In, in Godfather Part Two, but then you also see this family, how powerful they are, how 
they have everyone in their pocket, but then they still kind of go through the same problems of everyday life. Like you look at these people, like these these elite people that have existed, and they they put their pants on just like us. They they have to go through and they do the same things that we all have to do, and it kind of makes you come back and think of okay, they do all of these things. They deal have to deal with corruption, lies, murder, unfaithfulness, all of these things that we see on these TV shows and these movies. But then you also flip it to, okay, I got to go pick up my kids. I got to go cook dinner. I have to do all of these things. I have to pay these bills. Everyone at the core, we have so many similarities that you feel like people don't have to do for everyday life. And that's crazy. So that is something that now being old enough to realize what it what it means to have to pay for a house, pay for gas, pay for all these things. I understand that it's it might be hard for if you're listening for the first time ever or you stay with me for as how long this episode has gone on. It might not be the best thing to compare if you know who I am and you're a friend of mine. Hearing me listen, compare the everyday life of what the Corleone family did in regards to like mafia, gangster, whether it be in Italy or if it was in the United States, and compare that to how I live my life, you think is ridiculous. But there's so many similarities that we have with people that you would never think. And from taking a, like a step back and then realizing that, like it, there's, there's, there's more truth to it than not. And I, I feel like The Godfather is one of the best movies of all time, if not the best movie of all time. I know they throw Casablanca in there, Citizen Kane, some other movies. If you just look at this list, so Gone with the Wind, Moonlight, On the Waterfront, Forrest Gump, Return of the King, Departed, Parasite, Casablanca, Godfather Part Two, and Godfather. Some of those movies there, they're higher on my list because th- that was my opinion for my list, my opinion, my hot take for Live On Set. Your list could be different. Your list could have had maybe movies that I said that I saw that weren't didn't make the top 10, or you would have moved on to the next thing and moved on with your day after I told you I hadn't seen Lawrence of Arabia. So it is what it is. That was my list. I, I know that um, I get really excited talking about these uh, this element of pop culture being filmed. It is on the most holiest day of the year when it comes to that, with tonight being the Academy Awards. And this episode will come out tomorrow, the day after. So this episode included everything that I said live on set would be. Would there be some hot takes? There'd be some opinions. And we talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly of, of, of kind of what Oscars are about, also what to expect to give you those predictions, but then also how I felt about the Esquire list that came out. And I also gave myself in the process some homework to do. So if someone asks me about the movies I haven't seen, I'll be able to tell them something honestly. So with that being said, before I close this out, there is so much to look forward to other than the Academy Awards coming on the short term, but then also what to look forward to in May and June and for what is else to come with live on set. So I'll give you a quick kind of uh, look into the future of what what is going to be coming here shortly uh, for the remainder of season two. And I'll, I'll get into it. So uh, this Thursday, Friday, Saturday coming up is the NFL Draft. Uh, I have a good friend of mine, Quaid. He is the brother of the season two premiere. One of my best friends, Keaton, who came on the show uh, to talk about uh, his life in Houston, our favorite movies and music. His brother, Quaid, one of my oldest friends, will come on the show. It'll be our NFL draft post-discussion. He was supposed to be this week. We switched some things up. I was like, you want to do predictions or do you want to talk post? He's like, that's talk post. So we'll talk about NBA 
kind of winding down, but then also our thoughts on the NFL draft. He's a big Cowboys fan. I cannot wait to see uh, or hear, rather, his his hot takes, his opinions. After that, I have one of my really, really good friends uh, that I've talked about. I've talked about the Amway Center a lot and music. One of my good friends, Jessica, is going to come on. Uh, we're going to talk about Justin Timberlake, her favorite music, what TV shows she is watching. But then also, um, I have some some friends that were supposed to be on early season one that hopefully will be joining me on set soon, so I have some good music ones coming up. But then also, I hope to really incorporate people that I have met along the way. I know we're getting almost to episode 30, which is crazy. Almost 2,000 people have listened to this podcast, which is absolutely insane. People from all over the world have listened to this show. But I say in the intro... The weekly pop culture podcast with friends, family, and people I meet along the way. And I'm looking for that person that I can honestly say, someone that I met along the way to come on and join me on set. But that's it. That's May. The The last episode of April will be the one that's just me. So I know that I've done it before when I talked to SNL. SNL will come back the week of May 8th. We've got Elon Musk making his debut as a host. Miley Cyrus, who's a good fan of the show, uh, a good friend of the show. Uh, she'll be back as the musical guest. I would assume she'll be in some sketches as well because she's great. Uh, but there's a lot to look forward to. NFL draft, NBA is winding down, regular season is winding down. We've got the NBA playoffs. We got uh, SNL the, the last couple of episodes between now and the end of May. The Mike Towers album, like Mike just dropped, that's amazing. Big, big year ahead for him. A 21 Pilots album is coming out May 21st, Scaled and Icy. The lead single, Shy Away, is out. I talked about it with my good friend AJ. A couple of weeks ago so much to look forward to but most importantly i hope everyone who listened today either if you listened to the episodes before this if you saw oscars and you just hit play and you listened for the whole episode i hope you and your families are doing well hope everyone is happy and healthy and i hope that i can do these episodes live on set with people in person but for now it's it's going to be zooming so hope everyone's doing okay thank you so much for listening as always much love but that is going to do it for us today Live on set, the weekly pop culture podcast where I'm talking film, music, sports, television with my friends, family, and people I meet along the way. That's going to do it. Episode 27 is in the books, and the Oscar goes to, you'll find out tonight, and you'll find out tomorrow, April 26th, when this episode drops. You'll find it where you find your podcast. As always, much love, and we will see you next week for another episode of Live on Set.